Welcome to the Community of Faith podcast, where you will hear the exposition of God's Word taught by Rev. Patrick Parham, pastor of Faith Community Fellowship in Bristol, Tennessee. If you are in the Bristol area and would like to visit, please join us for Sunday morning worship beginning at 10 a.m. If you're not able to join us in person, join us online. Visit our website, faith-cf.org. That's faith-cf.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. That's all one word, Faith Community Fellowship Bristol. Here at Faith Community Fellowship, our goal is to ensure that what we do is edifying to our Heavenly Father, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Let's join Pastor Pat as he brings us God's Word. We'll be going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we will pick up our Scripture reading there in verse 2. Going down through verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Beginning our reading at verse 2 of this chapter. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have defrauded no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort and exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts and inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by His coming, but also by the consolation with which He was comforted in you. When He told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance of salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire and zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue this worship service, Begin to look at this passage of Scripture. I ask that You would still our hearts and minds and enable us through the working of the Holy Spirit to be able to not only just read it, but to understand the principles that are in these verses that would help us to follow You closer. I pray that He would enlighten our minds and Open our spiritual eyes so that we could see a little more of Your glory. That we could worship You a little more fully 
And that we could praise You more often for Your goodness to us every day. And that we would serve You more fervently than we have before. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now Paul begins to again refresh the Corinthians' minds of how his great love for them not only affected how he wrote to them, but it affected his daily frame of mind. You see, Paul understood something that was a great truth, and he he comes back to it over and over in these passages, not only to this church, but to the other churches that he wrote to as well. That is, he understood that if Christian people are convinced that in his case, they're founding apostle, but in, in the case of a minister, if they're convinced that they are loved, if they believe that the leader has their spiritual growth and walk with God continually central in his thinking and in his ministry, then they're going to respond much better. They're going to listen more to what you have to say. Paul wasn't perfect. No minister is. But if people know that their minister loves them, they're going to listen even though he makes mistakes because he's a sinner too. And that concept applies to Christians in general. For as we deal with one another, and even as we deal with unbelievers, our interactions with them, love covers a multitude of sins. And we'll get much more done if we love people, much more done for the Lord. He says, I want you to open your hearts. I want you to make room in your heart for us because I haven't corrupted anyone. I haven't been over teaching falsely. I haven't come for false motivations. I haven't defrauded anyone. I'm not taking money from people or other physical things. I'm not leading people astray spiritually. I didn't say this. He said to condemn you. He said, I'm not saying you've been acting this way. I'm just trying to remind you that what I've been talking about all along, that you are in our hearts. So much so that we die together and live together. He dealt tenderly with them. His life and theirs were intertwined. He had spent much time with them physically and spiritually. He was always concerned with them and remembering them in prayer before the Lord. He said, because of all these things, because we understand one another to a certain degree, because you know I love you and I have spent time with you over and over, great is my boldness of speech. He said, I know I can talk more boldly to you because you understand that I love you and you will listen even though it might be something hard that I have to say. He said, great is my boldness on your behalf in verse 4. So I'm not going to boast on myself. I'm not going to boast of something I've done. I'm going to boast on your in your love and growth in the Lord and your willingness to obey the Word of God. And that gives me comfort. Comfort because their response to His admonitions were godly. Their willingness to address issues, especially the one of the man living with his father's wife, uh, encouraged Paul. 
said, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. That doesn't mean he was glad when tribulation came along. It means that he knows that it has been worth it to suffer tribulation for the benefit of the church and he sees the results. He said, even when we came over to Macedonia in verse 5, he said, I didn't have any rest there. Now, what he's talking about in verse 5 coming to Macedonia is historically recorded in Acts 20. That chapter talks about all these types of things. He said, we were troubled on every side. He's talking about physical trials, but harder for him were the spiritual problems of the churches in trying to deal with all of the events that were going on. Some of the events that are recorded in that chapter and on this trip were over in Troas. Eutychus fell out of an upstairs window and he died. But Paul, through the power of the Spirit, raised him from the dead. Then after that, he goes down to Miletus and he sends for the elders of the church at Ephesus. And they come up and he has a meeting with them and prays with them. But he has to give them a warning in Acts 20 and verse 25. Indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. And then he went on to say, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the the flock, he said, in the latter part of verse 5, outside were conflicts and inside were fears. Conflicts mainly from the Jews. Sometimes from the Gentiles, but mainly from the Jews. And fears inside were for the flock of God for which he felt great responsibility. But he said, nevertheless, you see, Paul had written First Corinthians. He knew there were some things in there that, that were pretty harsh. Hard to take. But it had to be said, and he sent the letter. And then he worried about it, so to speak. He thought about it. He said, I wonder if I did the right thing. I wonder if they're going to respond right. And he began to pray more. And he just had great trials in his mind. And he said, I was thinking along this line, but Titus came, and God sent him who comforts the downcast. He comforted us, God did, not only by sending Titus, but by what Titus had to say. Not only by his return, but by the great report that he brought from the Corinthian church of their response to the first letter Paul had written. That's what he's talking about in verse 7. He said, he, he told me all about how he was comforted by you. He talked about your earnest desire. You have a great desire to serve God. He talked about your mourning over sin. He talked about your zeal, fervent love for me. He talked about uh, so much that I even rejoiced even more over their attitude and their reception of Titus. We see when we serve the Lord, if we're truly going to make a lasting impact on people's lives, we need to love them. That doesn't mean we don't speak the truth, but truth spoken in love is a much, much better chance of being received than truth spoken in condemnation, although they're both true. And for Christian ministers or Christian parents or just Christians in general, it's a great comfort to us to know <coughs> that others we have lived around and known, others that we have served with and served in, the kingdom of God are still following closely to our Lord. Paul mentions here, I was filled with comfort. John the Apostle over in 3 John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. To impact lives for Jesus is the goal of 
Christianity. It brings us great comfort when we are able to do so. Now, all labor for the Lord is valuable. I'm not saying it isn't, even if we never hear a good report. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But let's just be honest. Isn't it nice once in a while to see godly responses in our lifetime? In people that we have worked with? It's not required, but it's nice. We like that. And in verse 6, Paul speaks as God is comforting the downcast. That topic has come up before in this epistle. And we know it from personal experience. It's a cause for praise. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now as we move into the next section, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And, and, and when he's talking about godly sorrow, a person that is a Christian, we can have godly sorrow over sin in general. We can have godly sorrow over the effects of sin on our world and in our bodies, or perhaps over the state of our nation or the leadership, any number of things. But what Paul is talking about in these verses the godly sorrow he is talking about in this portion is that the Corinthians recognized sin for what it was and they were sorrowful about it being in their church. The rebuke of 1 Corinthians 5 concerning the lifestyle of the man living with his father's wife and still being allowed to come to church like nothing was wrong. The pride that was in the church as a whole because of their handling of this caused the Christians when they read Paul's first epistle to recognize their wrong. They were wrong. And that recognition in verse 9 says it led to repentance. It led to repentance. Paul rejoiced not in their sorrow, but in its effect. It led to repentance, a change of direction, a turning from sin to God. And that repentance produced repentance to salvation. To salvation. It involved grieving over sin. And it involved leading the church to repentance. But the repentance produced salvation. Salvation from the consequences of that sin. Salvation in, in, in the sense that the people involved as well as the entire church escaped judgment from God for that sin because they repented and turned away from it. And he said, it's not to be regretted. It's not to be regretted. I have never heard in over 30 years of ministry, I've never met an individual Christian, a, believe, a true believer in our Lord, who recognized sin in their life, repented of it, forsook it, and as a result had the beautiful fellowship of God restored regretting what they had done. We're just not going to meet a person like that. When David repented of his sin with Bathsheba, his prayer was, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with generous spirit, that I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. He said, you sorrowed, and it produced repentance, and that repentance produced salvation. He said, I want you to observe and look how it affected you in verse 11. You sorrowed in a godly manner. Sin was the cause, repentance was the cure, and sincere biblical searching of their hearts with a renewed commitment to follow God was the result. 
He said, what diligence it produced in you, a searching of their hearts and a searching of their motivations. What clearing of yourselves, a purging of themselves by confession, removing guilt. What indignation against sin and what you had been involved in. What fear of God and His Word and of sin and His consequences. What vehement desire for obedience to God's glory. What zeal a desire to live right and to put God first in their lives once again. And what vindication. All things you proved yourself to be clear of guilt and be resulting in approval by God. You see, Paul was human. Just like you and I are. He had emotions. He desired to be loved by people just like we do. He saw the church in Corinth was in trouble. And he knew that they were in sin and he had to warn them. It didn't give him any joy to do that. But to be true to his Lord, he had to do it. Then after he wrote 1 Corinthians, he began to wonder how it was going to be received. He was sorry that what he had written would cause the converts sorrow. But then when Titus came and received the report that the Corinthians had repented and were filled with love in their hearts for him, he rejoiced. He was living what is written in the Psalms. In Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And, and, and sometimes you and I might find ourselves in this situation. It's not that every Christian is responsible for several churches like Paul was, no. We're not going to have to confront that number of people and call them to repentance like Paul did, but the same emotions, the same concerns, the same commitment to God's Word is necessary if we have to speak to just one person that way and warn them of their sin and that they need to turn back to God. One person that we see that we truly love, but they're not pursuing Godly living. Or perhaps they have allowed sin in their lives and gotten used to it, just kind of settled down with it. Then God speaks to our heart and wants us to speak the truth to them in love. It's not easy, but sometimes it's necessary. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And sometimes we have to deal with these things as well. So in concluding our thoughts, you see the Corinthian Christians, they were first generation Christians as I talked about last week. They didn't have all the background of Christianity that you and I do. And they had made some grave mistakes. But when confronted with their sin in that first epistle, they repented. They followed Paul's spiritual advice. And so to speak, they got their spiritual church house in order. That's a great testimony. We're all sinners. But one of the true fruits of Christianity is when someone speaks the truth, even if it's hard to hear, we submit to God's Word, repent, make things right, and reignite our relationship to Jesus and enjoy the, the results of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In verse 10, you remember we read, Godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation. But the verse goes on to say something else, doesn't it? It goes on to say the sorrow of the world produces death. Now why would that be? 
That's because the sorrow of the world brings a person to their end, but it doesn't offer a solution. It offers no forgiveness. It doesn't know our loving Heavenly Father. doesn't understand His ability to cleanse our soul by washing it in the blood of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that people are born with the law of God written on their hearts. People are born with a basic sense of right and wrong. It's fallen, yes. But it's innate within them, and so their consciences become offended, and they get all this sorrow going on. But no solution is offered, and many times death is the result. Why is it that we hear so much about suicide these days? Isn't it something along these lines? Why is it that so many relationships might be marriages or parents to children or interactions with other fellow human beings, those relationships die out? But you see, you and I, as the Christians in this room, along with the Christians around the world, have the answers. That gives new urgency to a verse like 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then as I've mentioned over and over in this message, Sometimes even Christians need correction. Sometimes we do. But they need correction from ones who love them and recognize they are sinners themselves and in, in, in the uh, mode of Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit and gentleness. Consider yourself that you also be tempted. And speaking of the wonderful fruits of repentance, we all sin. We all need forgiveness. But when true godly sorrow produces repentance and salvation, how great is the removal of the guilt and the cleansing of our soul. David wrote of that over in Psalm 32 centuries and centuries ago. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Coming back to our passage for closing, God in verse 6 comforts the downcast. You know anybody that might be downcast? Well, then offer them comfort from the Scriptures. That's God offering comfort to the downcast. Godly sorrow, verse 10, produces repentance to salvation. You know anybody that might need salvation? Salvation of their soul or salvation of their marriage or salvation of their work relationship, whatever it might be, take them back to the Word of God and apply those principles. And repentance to salvation gives us great desire and zeal to live godly lives out of verse 11. Do we have that zeal in our lives to live godly lives as a great testimony before Others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of these verses. Some of these things were a little bit uh, difficult to talk about, but Lord, you are the great God of all comfort. And we who know you enjoy that comfort every day, and we thank you and praise you for that. We who are saved understand the principle Paul was talking about there in verse 10, a godly sorrow leads to repentance and repentance leads to salvation. 
And we thank You that You convicted us of our sin and allowed us to come to know You as our personal Lord and Savior. And help us to be open to sharing that wonderful message of hope with others. And then help us to have a wonderful, growing zeal to live for You every day. Because You love us with an everlasting love, let us love You in return and serve You out of a grateful heart. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Pastor Pat, for another wonderful message from God's Word. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Pastor Pat's message. If this has been a blessing to you, please like and follow this podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to support this ministry and the other ministry opportunities at Faith Community Fellowship, please visit our website, faith-cf.org support. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Community of Faith.